if you'll grab your Bibles, we are in Genesis 26 this morning. We've been going through the book of Genesis. Um, it's been a great series so far, and we've been switching over now to follow Isaac, and soon it will follow uh, uh, Jacob here. But it's, uh, it's very interesting here what happens, because the, fo- I mean, the son follow- follows exactly what the father does. And I don't know about you, that kind of seems to be a pattern in this world, how sometimes our children will follow and do the same thing that we do. And that's why parenting is so important. And chapter uh, 26, verse 1, it says, Now there was a famine in the land besides the previous famine in Abraham's time. And Isaac went to Abimelech, king of the Philistines, near Gerar. Now where did, Phil, uh, where did, where did Abraham go the last time there was a uh, uh, there was a famine in the land. He went to Egypt. How well did that turn out? Not so well. That's where he ended up getting his, uh, um, for lack of a better term, second wife. It was really part of, uh, uh, you know, his harem in a sense. I, why uh, the Lord uh, allowed that for a while to happen before he said, look, guys, this is not turning out well. You should not have multiple, uh, multiple spouses and so forth. So um, a, Isaac is kind of following in that footsteps of going down toward Egypt. And Abimelech is, is, is not a proper name. Many think it's a, more of a, dyna, a dynastic name, uh, like Herod. Uh, you had multiple Herods, so you had to figure out which one it is. This is not the same Abimelech that Abraham would have ran into during his time. But Gerar is located in Canaan. So uh, we're like literally on the border of Egypt so I, Isaac is moving toward Egypt just like Abraham did, and God will tell him, hey, don't go any further than this. And this is like many Christians today. We like to live on the border, don't we? That border of sin, that border of, well, this is how much I can get away with because this is how I feel. If I cross this line, therefore, it's sin or it's not good for my life. So, so we like to scooch over to that border. Now, my five-year-old, I mean my five-year-old, my three-and-a-half-year-old, uh, Grayson, when we go on trips and stuff like that, he likes to sleep in our bed because we can't get him to sleep in another room yet. Well, there's a border between Lisa and I. You know, in a sense, he likes to scoot over to one of us and not the other for some reason. Like, he, one night it'll be me, he'll just be all over me, pushing his feet in my head, into my side, and you're just like, I'm not getting any sleep tonight because you just know that's going to happen. Then the next night it might be Lisa and he'll do the same thing. So he likes to scoot over all the way to the border. So you understand that what that mean by that border and, and the issues that it causes. But, uh, you know, how carnal can I get before, I, you know, uh, how carnal can I be and still get to heaven in a sense or to have God's blessing? So that's kind of what we're talking about here. And to, uh, verse 2, it says, The Lord appeared to Isaac and said, Do not go down to Egypt. Live in the land where I tell you to live. Stay in the land for a while, and I will be with you and will bless you. For to you and your descendants I will give these lands and will confirm the oath I swore to your father Abraham. I will make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the skies and will give them all these lands. And, and through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed. Because Abraham obeyed me and did everything I required of him, keeping my commands, my decrees, and my instructions, Isaac stayed in Gerar. So Canaan is the promised land. It's part of that promise that God gave to Abraham and is going to hand, hand down through the generations here. When there, the family line is in God's will. 
his promises are fulfilled, and his blessings flow to the family. If they leave the land, what happens? Well, the blessings gets removed because of disobedience. Because they're cut off from that blessing, they're cut off from that promise. And for us, this represents the life of the Spirit within us. The Spirit will bless us, and when we live in obedience, when we walk in faith, when we follow the Lord's ways, um, you know, this is, this is how it is. But when we decide to go outside of God's will in our own life, what happens? Those blessings tend to dry up. And we're like, well, God, why did you leave me? And God's like, no, wait, wait a second. You went outside the promised land. You went outside the borders. You went away from me. It, I didn't leave. You left. You know, every child of God has the opportunity that when the blessings flow to us, we can either step back into the world and have the blessings cut off. God promises would be put on hold in our lives. Now, we're not talking about salvation. If you come to the Lord and you, you accept the Lord into your life, we're not talk, that doesn't get cut off, okay? I'm not talking about that. But I'm talking about the blessings and stuff that come along with that when we step back into the world. God's love is unconditional, but his blessings are not. When my child is being rebellious, you know, not living according to the family rules or back talking or those type of things, do I take him out for ice cream? Do I take him, do I... Put, you know, bestow blessings, a parental blessing? Do I buy him a gift? No, I withhold those things because he's being honoring. You just want to knock him upside the head, but I don't knock him upside the head, you know. But, you know, my father did that kind of stuff, and, and, you know, luckily I haven't followed in those footsteps yet. You know, but I, but I, I withhold those blessings from him. It's the same thing with our Heavenly Father. Verse 7, it goes on, it says, When the men of that place asked him about his wife, he said, She is my sister. Uh, we've already talked about this with Abraham. It happened what, how many times with Abraham? Oh, man, a couple of times. And you're just thinking, what the heck? What are you doing? And it goes on, it says, Because he was afraid to say she is my wife. He thought the men of this place might kill me on account of Rebecca because she is beautiful. So we see the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. You know, like father, like son, uh, same lie that Abraham told over 100 years ago, uh, 100 years uh, earlier in this. And, and we need to learn from our parents' mistakes. Uh, any kids here? Your parents ever make mistakes? You kind of put your hand up. Mallory, don't put both hands up. Your parents are right here. <laughs> uh, I couldn't help myself. But, you know, but, but, you know uh, we think our parents make all these mistakes, Right? Well, no, not necessarily. Sometimes they make mistakes because they're not perfect, and we won't be perfect as the younger generation as we, as we uh, you know, raise our children and so forth. But we take the good and say, okay, this is what I think, this is what my parents did really good, and we try to implement that family. And here's the things that I, I might not have liked in my family, okay? So it's like, do I have to make a decision. Do I implement those or not? And then here's some things that, no, no, this was crossing the line for me, and this, I would never do that. And then you don't do that, okay? It's not that your parents were bad. They're just like you. They're just trying to figure out parenting. They're just trying to figure out how to live, just how to, how to raise, and we should do that in a godly way. It's good to evaluate. It's not, not to say, oh, that they were terrible, okay? We don't go that way. But to say, what are the great things? What should I do? What should I change? What should I not duplicate here? 
Now, the term sins of the fathers handed down, this is because we copy our parents, right? And, you know, and younger brothers and sisters copy their brothers or their sisters, you know, the older ones. In fact, we were out and, and we were uh, having fun in snow and throwing snowballs and, and having people walk under trees and they're not smart enough to realize that you can shake the tree and all the snow comes down on top of them. So we were having fun. But uh, uh, Brandon, my older one, every time I got hit by a snowball, he'd be like, oh, man, come on. So Grayson, three and a half, goes around. He takes a snowball. He throws it at you, and it hits you, and he goes, oh, man, come on. We copy each other, don't we? This is what we're talking about here. Verse 8, it goes on. When Isaac had been there a long time, Abimelech, king of the Philistines, looked down from a window and saw Isaac caressing his wife, Rebekah. So Abimelech summoned Isaac and said, she is really your wife. Why did you say she is your sister? She is my sister. Isaac answered him, because I thought I might lose my life on account of her. Then Abimelech said, what is this you have done to us? One of my men might well have slept with your wife and you would have brought guilt upon us. So Abimelech gave orders to all the people, anyone who harms this man or his wife shall surely be put to death. Now again, in that culture, women did not go out alone. We're going to see a story in a, in a few weeks here uh, about uh, uh, one of Jacob's daughters goes out alone and basically gets raped, which is terrible. It should not happen, okay? Um, but well, we'll get to that later. But, but in this culture, if, if a woman was out alone, I mean, basically they were saying, hey, I'm, I'm kind of free willing, I'm kind of available, I'm kind of, you know, all these different things. So he's making a point here. You could have put us in jeopardy here. And this just proves us once again, we're always being watched. Do you ever get paranoid you're being watched? Well, it's because people are watching you. Your friends, your neighbors, everybody's watching my neighbor left his garage door open the other day, and I came home at lunch, and, and it was open. I went, that's odd. They're, never, they're both teachers. They're never, so I texted him and said, hey, your garage door is up. Uh, he goes, oh, I'm, I came home a little earlier, and I, I must have left it open. And he goes, can you go close it for me? And I said, sure. And then I texted him back and said, I'm the little old lady in the neighborhood that keep, keeps, you know, keeps watch on everything. You know, I, I kind of felt like that. But we watch everything. Twice Abraham was rebuked by unbelievers. And here Isaac is doing the same thing. He's getting rebuked. It's amazing to me that a pagan king was fearful of God's judgment if he took another man's wife. Think about that for a second. A pagan king. I think Christians, we as Christians, have ignored this type of stuff for way too long. There is no longer a fear for some reason of the Lord's punishment. When it comes to certain things like adultery and, and many other things. But adultery has become so commonplace in this country that it's almost been legitimized. If you're unhappy, just go out and find somebody else. Just be happy because it's all about your happiness, right? That's what the world's saying to us. And, and unfortunately, we've forgotten there's consequences. There's earthly consequences to the family and all that kind of stuff. But there's, there's also consequences from God. And we've lost that fear of God and we need to get that back. So the story continues in verse 12. It goes, Isaac planted crops in the land and the same year reaped a hundredfold because the Lord blessed him. So God is, is showing uh, his blessing through Isaac. And even though there's a, there's a famine in the land, he's blessing him. He's, he's taking care of him. And, uh, you know, uh, basically this is a good reminder for us too. 
We don't have to be, you know, we don't have to lie to other people to be protected by God or to be taken care of God. God says we're his children. He's going to take care of us. So we shouldn't lie. We shouldn't deceive. And we're going to see this is handed down from Isaac to Jacob, the whole de- deception type of lifestyle and so forth, uh, which is kind of interesting. God's line, you know, his line through the Messiah flows right through that. And yet we see that. Uh, now, I believe that, uh, you know, but, but Isaac here, he obeyed, he stayed in the land, and God provided for him. And, and I think there's many different types of testing in our lives, and I think there are times when God tests us to see if we will honor him, if we will obey him. And then when we pass that test, he blesses us, just like a parent. Children pass certain tests, children behave certain ways, then we bless them. So the problem is that we never give God a chance to take care of the problems in our lives. We just go around trying to save ourselves instead of handing it over to the Lord. It goes on in verse 13, it says, Isaac became a rich man and his wealth continued to grow until he became very wealthy. He had so many flocks and herds and servants that the Philistines envied him. So all the wells that his father's servants had dug at the time of his father Abraham, the Philistines stopped up, filling them with earth. Now, why would anyone in the world fill up water in a desert? You know, I mean, fill up the well. Let's just take a whole bunch of dirt. Let's dump it all down there. This is life-giving. I can come up with two, two different things. One is to erase the, the memory of Abraham and, and his God and that's living on through Isaac. We see the same thing today. Isaac, uh, Isis comes through, and they, what did they do in the Middle East? Uh, they, they destroyed you know, in Iraq and Iran and Afghanistan, anything of historical value, they basically destroyed. All the museums they destroyed, uh, historical heritage of other cultures, they just destroyed. And this is what the world does. But secondly, I think the devil entices the world always to fill up the things that God has provided. To go against the things that God has done. Anything that shows God's blessing, anything that shows God's truth, we need to get rid of, we need to cover up. In a sense, try to erase the Christian heritage. Try to erase the godly heritage. So then in verse 16, it says, Then Abimelech said to Isaac, Move away from us. You have become too powerful for us. So Isaac moved away from there and encamped in the valley of Gerer, where he settled. Verse 18, it says, uh, Isaac reopened the wells that had been dug at the time of his father Abraham, which the Philistines had stopped up after Abraham died, and he gave them the, name, the same names the father had given them. Isaac goes back to the same place, the same wells, the, the sources of life in the desert. I mean, you have to have water to live. And he even calls them by the same name. And here's a good lesson for us. When the world is attacking God's truth, we need to return to the spiritual truths that have always been there. As we move forward in this life, we can't leave the spiritual truths behind. We need to return to that spiritual truth. And many churches of, you know, where people are being taught and, and being preached and all this stuff, it, you know, man, unfortunately, many things that are being taught are not from, the, from God's word. It's from man's mind. It's from man's attitude. It's, it's from man's feelings instead of the word of God. And they're using the light to deceive many. The Bible may even be there, but the things of the Bible aren't being taught. And this is why I think it's, it's good for us to go through the Word of God, to go through verse by verse and stuff. It, it kind of keeps us on task. The Word says in the last day that there will be deceivers out there in the name, of, uh, name of the Lord. Yet, 
not the things of God. Telling them things that they want to hear. Do you know of anybody like that? Just telling people what they want to hear? <laughs> Just turn on TV, you know? Oh, man. The church is becoming man-centered. The church is drifting away from God. And we need to go back to the wells of our fathers, our forefathers, to the preaching of the Bible in churches again, and preaching against sin, saying this is a sin, don't do this. Well, don't do, no, 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 no. This is a sin. And this is where we, we go up against homosexuality. We go up against drunkenness. We go up against all these things that, that now become the norm. And we say, no, what does the Bible say? Not what I feel. I have friends that are homosexuals, okay? Uh, you know, I love them dearly. But at the same time, I'm sitting there going, that's still a sin. And you know where I stand. I don't condemn them to hell. That's between them and God. But I can tell you that is against God's ways. And people can call us whatever you want to call us. But what does the word of God say? We should not water down the truth of God. Verse 19, it says, if I'm on that one. Um, Isaac's servants dug a valley and discovered a well of fresh water uh, there. But the herders of Gerer quarreled with, uh, with those of Isaac and said, The water is ours. So he named the well Essex, in other words, coral, because they disputed with him. Then they dug another well, and they quarreled over that one also. So it named it Sitna, means opposition. He moved on from there and dug another well, and no one quarreled over it. He named it Reboth, in other words, roominess. I finally have room to settle down. Saying, now the Lord has given us room, and we will flourish in the land. It's interesting here. Isaac seems to be a man of peace. He had every right to fight over those wells. His father dug those wells. When you dig a well like that, it belongs to you, okay? Um, it's like a possession. It's like what you own. It's like your house. All your stuff is in your house. I just can't come and, oh, I like your house better than my house. Let me just move my stuff in. No, it doesn't work like that. He actually owned the wells, but He's like, I don't want to fight over it. His men dug those for him to say, well, wait a second. These are mine. But he wanted peace. So he just moved on, found another area, a place that they may, you know, finally didn't fight about. As Christians and as American Christians, we love to fight, don't we? It's in our nature. We fight over every little thing. And I, sometimes I understand because the world is just coming after Christians and, and what we stand for. But as American Christians in our fight, you know, Paul commands us in Romans 12, 18, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. That means for your part, you need to live in peace. See, God doesn't want us fighting with other people. God doesn't want us fighting with family. God doesn't want us to be fighting. Whenever possible, let us live in peace. We need to Put on our big boy pants, our big girl pants, and be the better person, just like our forefathers told us to be. You know what I'm saying? Whenever possible. Now, this is not always possible, and sometimes we should fight for what we, we have. I mean, remember when Abraham, when Lot was, uh, was taken and kidnapped, and Abraham got, gathered his forces, and they went back and fought and got, got his uh, nephew back and so forth? Sometimes we will need to fight. 
That I, here Isaac is just trying to live in the land. Give me room to live. Give me room to feed my cattle. Give me room to feed my sheep. All those things and let me live. Today, I just want people to give us, as Christians, room to live. Without being called homophobic. Without being called xenophobic or bigoted or something like that. The goal of this world is to say, you should not have beliefs. Or, your beliefs are okay as long as I can tell you what you should be believing. <laughs> you see what my point is? It's okay as long as I can tell you. In our world, we're alienating huge parts of the population for the 2%. And it doesn't really make sense to me. Tolerance goes both ways. Getting along goes both ways. So there's time for us to stand up and fight, and there's times for us to go, Hey, if, if possible, let me, let me be at peace here. So you've you got to pray about that on which is which. Verse 23, it goes on and says, From there he went up to Beersheba. That night the Lord appeared to him and said, I am the God of your father Abraham. Do not be afraid, for I am with you. I will bless you and increase the number of your descendants for the sake of my servant Abraham. Isaac built an altar there and called, it, called on the name of the Lord. There he pitched his tent. And there his servants dug a well. Four quick things I think is a, a necessary, uh, necess- uh, well, that's really necessary for, for any pilgrim of Christ, any, any person that calls themselves a Christian. First off, we need to make sure we're in God's will. We need to be in a place where God can bless us. As a follower, in a cl- as a follower of Christ, we need to be there where God can bless us. If we're off sinning, if we're off doing the place that God doesn't want us to be, you know, we're in the middle of compromise, God can't bless us. Secondly, we need to start building altars, a place to worship. It's what separates the church from other organizations. We come together and we worship together. A living organization that worships the one true God. Worship needs to be the center of everything that we do. Thirdly, we need to pitch our tent. This is called abiding. This is living right where God is. And fourthly, we need to dig a well. In a sense, we need to drink daily from the Word of God, where Jesus is, the living water. We need to open our Bibles when we're at home, okay? So if you feel guilty, it's not coming from me, that's coming from the Lord. You need to open your Bibles, you need to get into it. You're not going to understand it unless you read it. Now what happens when Isaac does these things? Well, it goes on in verse 26. Meanwhile, Abimelech had come to him from Gerar with uh, uh, yeah, that guy with an A name, and his personal advisor, and Phil Cole, the commander of his forces, Isaac asked him, Why have you come to me, since you were hostile to me and sent me away? They answered, We saw clearly that the Lord was with you, so we said, There ought to be a sworn agreement between us, between us and you. Let us make a treaty with you, that you will do us no harm, just as, uh, just as we did not harm you, but always treated you well and sent you away peacefully. <laughs> they filled up all the wells. Yeah, that was peaceful, yeah. And now you are blessed by the Lord. It's interesting here. It's when Isaac definitely separates himself from the world. In a sense, the men of Gerar, you know. Now they look at Isaac and go, man, I want some of that blessing that I see that's happening. So they start going toward that blessing. They come to him and want some of that. And, and we can see that when separation happens from the world, the world can best see us. If we become just like the world, 
the world doesn't see the need for God. When we separate ourselves from the world and the world can see how God does bless Christians and how God does motivate us and, and how our lives are and, and how content we can be and, and so forth and how, how joyful we can be even though maybe life isn't, isn't that great. You know, there's a difference between joy and happiness. You know, I may be not necessarily happy, but I can be joyful because I know where I'm going to end up. I know that God is in control. When, the world, when we're separated from the world, the world can see that. That's when they're drawn back toward God. But too many of us are living not separated. Too many of us are living in the world. And we need to ask ourselves, is this really what God wants in our life? Only you can answer that one. Verse 30, it goes on and says, Isaac then made a feast for them, and they ate and drank. Early the next morning, the men swore an oath to each other. Then Isaac sent them on their way, and they went away peacefully. That day, Isaac's servants came and told him about the well they had dug. They said, we found water. He called it Shabbat, and, and to this day, the, the name of the town has been Beersheba. In other words, well of the oath is what, what it's called. When Esau, when Esau was 40 years old, he married Judith, daughter of Bere, the Hittite, and also Basemith, daughter of Elon, the Hittite. They were a source of grief of, to Isaac and Rebekah. <laughs> There's nothing worse for a parent than to have their children marry non-Christians. There's nothing worse than a Christian parent to, to see that. It grieves them because it takes their children away. And we're going to see that with Esau, how they just draw him away from the family. It, it really shows you that Esau was an unbeliever here. And we'll find out later. You know, but one of his sins was this. I mean, a double heartache. Married two different women from two different families of the Hittites, which weren't Jewish. Now, 37 years will pass between the end of chapter 26 and chapter 27. And if there's ever a passage in the Bible that shows kind of the warts and all, uh, this is it. We will see how a dysfunctional family, uh, you know, in the line of Isaac and his family, how they really were. And, and just like many Christian families. Anybody know? Uh, okay. Let, let's not talk about ourselves here. Anybody else know? Anybody know a dysfunctional family? No, two hands, come up, come on. We all know a dysfunctional family. Okay, get with it, people, okay? Come on. We all know a dysfunctional family. And we're going to see this. And we're going to see how the Lord works through it. I mean, they love the Lord, but man, very dysfunctional. Because many times they're just not walking on the path of God. God still loves them, but he will pull his blessing, and he will bless them here and there. But man, that dysfunction gets in the way of that. In verse, uh, verse 1 of chapter 27, When Isaac was old and his eyes were so weak that he could no longer see, he called Esau, his older son, and said to him, My son, here am I. Here am I, he answered. Isaac said, I'm now an old man and don't know the day of my death. Now then, get your equipment, your quiver and bow, and go out into the open country to hunt some wild game for me. Prepare me the kind of tasty food I like, and bring it to me to eat, so that I may give you my blessing before I die. Now Isaac was 137 years old, as they lived longer back then, but, but his brother Ishmael had died at 137 years old. So I wonder if, if Isaac was kind of thinking about death, and sitting there going, well, my brother died at, the, I mean, I, my dad died at 65. Uh, 
he didn't know he was sick, and when he found out he was sick, within seven weeks he died. So I'm sitting there going, okay, I'm 40, and you know, and a Okay, so, you know, you kind of think about those things. So you wonder, did they think about, you know, was he thinking about these things? So maybe that's what he was doing, and he felt like maybe, man, maybe I'm getting close to my death. Now, when did Isaac die? Well, he died when he was 180 years old, so 43 years after this. So maybe, you know, maybe he was a hypochondriac, I don't know. Uh, You know, I probably won't be here next Christmas. Have you ever heard that from a relative? I won't be here next Christmas, you know. We don't know what is up. So he tells Esau, go out, you know, give me some good food, come back, and I'll give you the family blessing. And this family blessing is a really important thing. So um, now, so Esau and Jacob are 77 years old. And it says, now Rebekah was listening as Isaac spoke to Esau. When Esau left for the open country to hunt game and, and bring it back, Rebekah said to her son, Jacob, look, I overheard your father say to your brother Esau, bring me some game and prepare some, me some tasty food to eat so that I may give you my blessing in the presence of the Lord before I die. Now, my son, listen carefully and do what I tell you. Go out to the flock and bring me two choice, uh, two choice young goats so I can prepare some tasty food for your father just the way he likes it. Then take, your, take it to your father to eat so that he may give you his blessing before he dies. Now, they're going to basically deceive Isaac. Mother and son are going to deceive the father here. No doubt Isaac knows that God had called the younger to rule over the older, the blessing that, that uh, happened way back when, when they were born. But 77 years have gone by, and he doesn't see it. He sees the older one being the more powerful son, the, you know, the man's man, the guy's going out there you know, hunting and all that kind of stuff. And we see a huge dysfunction here. Parents favoring one over the other child. I mean, yes, we may relate to one more than the other or whatever, but it can be very difficult when we start favoring one. I mean, here Jacob is 77, and his mother's telling him what to do. Okay, mommy, I'll go do it. I mean, like, okay. You know, here's the problem. The only way to do this is by not believing God's promise on your life. Rebecca doesn't believe that God will follow through here. Motive was right. The actions were wrong. Because Esau, the older, was going to serve the younger. Well, if the younger doesn't get the fatherly blessing, then Esau will actually rule over him. We talked a little bit about that earlier. Verse 11, it goes on and says, Jacob said to Rebekah, his mother, But my brother Esau is a hairy man while I have smooth skin. What if my father touches me? I will appear to be tricking him and will bring down a curse on myself rather than a blessing. <coughs> so Jacob doesn't mind being a deceiver. He just minds if he gets caught, you know. Probably know some people like this. Doesn't mind being, you know, untruthful. Just doesn't want people to know that he's untruthful. He's worried about how it will affect him. His mother said to him, verse 13, My son, let the curse fall on me. Just do what I say. Go and get them for me. And this is really sad on several levels here. Uh, when we first saw Rebecca, she was a teenager. She, you know, now she's older and she's still kind of acting like a teenager. She never grew up. At one point in her life, she was kind-hearted, she was sweet, she worked hard, but something happened. Now she's kind of conniving, controlling, we don't know what happened. But, you know, some Christians do not age well and, and I, you know, becoming bitter and sour and angry. And I just pray the Lord 
that, that he gives me a great spirit as, as I grow older, that, that I not become angry or bitter or sour or those things, because I want to be more like Jesus as I get older, becoming more like Jesus. And that's important for us to realize. But she's also influencing her child in the wrong way. I'm amazed, I'm amazed at how many parents do this on a daily basis. I mean, I, you know, you've heard me talk about this before. Just go to Sundell when the kids are dropping off the students, and there's certain ways to do it, and some parents just come in and do it the wrong way on purpose because they're too important to do it the right way. And what is that teaching their children? Now take that little thing and put that into general life everywhere. You think you're so important, and you don't do what's right. You're teaching your children they're more important than everybody else. That doesn't do, bode well for us. And we're going to see what happens here. Now, maybe this could be a one-off for Rebecca. Maybe she's still sweet and hardworking. We just don't see the big picture here. We only see the story, so we don't know what happened. Verse 14, it says, So he went and got them and brought them to his mother, and she prepared some tasty food, just, as, uh, just the way his father liked it. Then Rebecca took the best clothes of Esau, her older son, <coughs> which she had in the house, and put them on the younger son, Jacob. She also covered his hands and the smooth part of his neck with goat skins. Kind of makes you wonder how hairy Esau really was, you know? Goat skin, you know, I don't know. Oh, man, verse 17. Then she handed her son Jacob the tasty food and, and the bread she had made. He went to his father and said, My father. Yes, my son, he answered. Who is it? Jacob said to his father, I'm Esau, your firstborn. I mean, did he... You know, try to change his voice. I'm Esau. You know, you're first, you know, how did he do this? I don't know. Um, I've done what you told me to do. Please sit down and eat some of my game so that you may, may give me your blessing. Isaac asked his son, how did you find it so quickly, my son? The Lord your God gave me success, he replied. So it's interesting. He's even bringing God into the deception here. Is that ever a good thing? <laughs> no, no, it's not. Oh, man. Verse 21, Then Isaac said to Jacob, Come near me so I can touch you, my son, to know whether you really are my son Esau or not. Jacob went close. I wonder if he was shivering, you know, as he gets closer to him. Jacob went close, his father Isaac, who touched him and said, The voice is the voice of Jacob, but the hands are the hands of Esau. So Isaac was obviously suspicious here. But he didn't take, I mean, kind of took steps to verify it, but he didn't quite go all the way here. And uh, in verse 23, it says, He did not recognize him, for, for his hands were hairy as those of his brother Esau. So he proceeded to bless him. Are you really my son Esau, he asked. I am, he replied. Then he said, My son, bring me some of your game to eat, so that I may give the blessing. Jacob brought it to him, and he ate, and he brought some wine, and he drank. Then Isaac, or then his father Isaac said to him, Come here, my son, and kiss me. So he went over and kissed him. When Isaac caught the smell of his clothes, he blessed him and said, Ah, the smell of my son is like the smell of the field and the Lord, that the Lord has blessed. May God give you heaven's dew and the earth's richness and abundance of grain and new wine. By, may nations serve you and peoples bow down to you. May the Lord or be Lord over your brothers, and may the sons of your mothers bow down to you. May those who curse you be cursed, and those who bless you be blessed. And this is a reaffirmation of the blessing that Abraham would receive from the Lord that was handed down to Isaac, and now Isaac is passing it down to Jacob. 
It's exactly what the Lord was planning to do. It's exactly what the Lord wanted to do. It's just not the way the Lord wanted to get it done. You see how man interferes in God's plan? God has the plan already. God's going to get you there. But we're so busy going, well, I want it now, or I want it sooner, or I don't see the big picture. I don't know how God's going to do this. And then we interfere into that. Verse 30, it says, after Isaac after Isaac uh, finished blessing him and Jacob had scarcely left his father's presence, his brother Esau came in from hunting. He too prepared some tasty food and brought it to his father. And then he said to him, my father, please sit up and eat some of my game so that you may give me your blessing. His father, Isaac, asked him, who are you? I am your son, he answered, your firstborn, Esau. Isaac trembled violently and said, who is it then, or who was it then, that hunted game and brought it to me? I ate it just before you came, and I blessed him, and indeed he will be blessed. Now I wonder if Isaac remembered the, uh, you know, what Rebecca had said at their birth, that the younger would rule over the older. Is he remembering now, 137 years later, you know, or 137 years old here, and he's realizing that regardless of what he wanted, because he really loved Esau, he really preferred Esau, the man of the world, the man that got out there and got things done, he really preferred that. But here God's will is happening. You can scheme, you can connive, but God's will will be done. Yes, we have free will. But the Lord also knows what we're going to do. So he incorporates that into his plan. Isaac wanted to bless Esau, his favorite, but God was not going to allow that to happen. Verse 34, it says, When Esau heard his father's words, he burst out with a loud and bitter cry and said to his father, Bless me, me too, my father. You know, you could almost see that because that blessing was really important um, uh, to that culture. And he said, but he, but he said, your brother came and deceitfully took your blessing. Esau said, isn't he rightly named Jacob? In other words, deceiver. That is the second time he's taken advantage of me. He took my birthright, and now he's taking my blessing. Then he asked, haven't you reserved any blessing for me? Now, this is not true. Jacob did not trick Esau in taking his birthright. Remember Esau sold it to Jacob? For, uh, you know, for a meal, a lentil soup, or a red soup, as they would call it. Esau really didn't care about his birthright. He didn't want to be the spiritual leader. We talked about the birthright following being the spiritual leader of the household. But now, why doesn't, why doesn't Isaac just take back the blessing? Well, it's permanent. It's irreversible. It's why Be Rebecca and Jacob went through this ruse, so this scheme. It cannot be revoked. See, the doctrinal lesson is this. The older, in other words, our sinful nature, the nature we were born with, will serve the younger, our new nature. And what is our new nature? That's what we receive when the Holy Spirit blesses us. That's what we receive when we say, I accept you as Lord my Savior, and the Spirit lives within us. We're now children of God, and the younger will be in charge. In other words, the Spirit will be, uh, be in charge. And it cannot be revoked. In Romans eleven twenty nine, 29, it says, For God's gift and His call are irrevocable. Once you are saved, once you, are, you know God has called you and you have accepted that, the Holy Spirit has pronounced a blessing upon your life. 
because you've accepted Christ. It's irrevocable, and you will always be a child of God, and his blessing will always be available to you. Now, it doesn't say you'll be continually blessed. It will always be available to you. We say, but what if we're, you know, what if we're living uh, or not living like a, you know, not living like a Christian? Well, it doesn't matter. If you truly came to know the Lord, truly walked in his way, like the prodigal son, the father's always waiting for you to come back. Always waiting. You can come back to him because you were still his child. Verse 36, it says, Esau said, isn't he rightly named Jacob? The second, son, uh, second time he has taken advantage of me, he took my birthright, and now he's taken my blessings. Then he asked, haven't you any blessing uh, for me? Isaac answered Esau, I have made him lord over you and have made, him, made all of his relatives and his servants, and I have sustained him with grain and new wine. So what can I possibly do for you, my son? Esau said to his father, do you, only, uh, do you only have one blessing, my father? Bless me too, my father. Then Esau wept aloud. The writer of Hebrews talks about this historical scene here. Um, it says in Hebrews 12, verse 14, Make every effort to live in peace and everyone to be holy. Um, without holiness, no one can, will see the Lord. See to it that no one falls short of the grace of God, that no, one, uh, that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. See that no one is sexually immoral or godless like Esau, for, who for a single meal sold his inheritance rights as, uh, as the older son. Afterward, as you know, he, when he wanted to inherit this blessing, he was rejected even though he sought the blessing with tears. He could not change what he had done. Now, why wasn't the repentance accepted? Because it really wasn't repentance. He really only wanted the blessing. He lived like the world the whole time, but then he wanted the blessing. It's like many who, who will live like the world the whole time, who, knew, who, who truly do not come to the Lord, and then they get up there and they say, but, but, but I want that blessing too, and God's going to go, uh, sorry, my child, I, I don't know who you are. They've never had a commitment. They've never had a, a relationship with the Lord. On the day of judgment, like Esau, many will weep and well, not because they're re repentant, but because they want the blessing. And in Galatians 6, 7 and 8, it says, Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please their flesh, from the flesh they'll reap, uh, will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the Spirit, from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Plain as day. Now, Isaac does bless Esau, but, not in the, but it's a very different blessing. Verse 39, it says, His father Isaac answered him, Your dwelling will be away from the earth's richness, away from the dew of, of the heaven above. You will live by the sword, and you will serve your brother. But, but when you grow restless, you will throw his yoke from your neck. Now, Esau is blessed, but he's still an unbeliever. Just like many unbelievers today, they will be blessed in some ways by the Lord. I mean, think about this. Most of the hospitals today, what's the background of the hospitals? The Christian church. The Christian church wanted to take care of people. And that's born most of the hospitals 
of today called common grace. Rain falls, right, on this earth. We got rain right now. It blesses everyone, right? It doesn't just bless us. It's a blessing from God. It's a common blessing. Unbelievers can know happiness and joy, but they're different characteristics than, than, you know, than the happiness and joy that we understand with God. Now, there's coming a time when the unbelievers will be separated and no longer have the blessings from the shadow of God, as they like to call it. They will be completely cast out, and the overflow blessing won't hit them. The blessing uh, Isaac gives Esau comes true. They were the Edomites. They go on to be the Edomites, and they lived in the desert. They became warriors, and they were subjects of the Israelites for many, many years. And one day, uh, they would throw them off. And this happens in 2 Kings 8, 20 through through 22. And you can go read that if you want. But, But overall, the plan stays with Jacob. Today, the ancestors of the Edomites uh, mixed with the uh, Ammonites, and these are what we call Jordanians today. That's where their ancestry comes from. Going back to Genesis, in verse 41, it says, Esau held a grudge against Jacob because of the blessing of his father had given him. He said to himself, the days of the morning of my, my, for my father are near, then I will kill my brother Jacob. When Rebekah was told what his older son Esau had said, She sent uh, for her younger son, Jacob, and said to him, Your brother Esau is planning to avenge himself by killing you. Now then, my son, do what I say. Flee at once to my brother Laban in Haran. And, and, man, Jacob will meet his match in Uncle Laban. I tell you, he's a character, and we'll see that next week. Verse 44, it says, Stay with him for a while until your brother's fury subsides. When your brother is no longer angry with you and forgets what you did to him like that'll ever happen you know what i'm saying we hold on to things i'll send word for you to come back from there why should i lose both of you in one day then rebecca said to isaac i'm disgusted with living uh, because of these hittite women if jacob takes a wife from among the women of this land from the hittite women like these my life will not be worth living now is this a dysfunctional family or what a few days turns into 20 years. And Rebecca, Jacob's mom, dies during this time. This is the last time she sees Jacob, whom she preferred and whom she loved, whom she helped deceive to get God's blessing. And this will be the last time. You're talking about the result of, of sin. God is giving her an immediate result here. She will never lay eyes on him again. When you, we use deception to get what we want, we usually pay a higher price than what we want. If she truly trusted God, she, she should have let God do the plan because things would have been completely different. She probably would have lived her whole life around Jacob and loved Jacob, but God clearly knew what she would do, and he put it into her plans. And the focus will change to Jacob and his wife starting next week. And I've ran way past time, so why don't I just pray and we'll... We'll be finished today. Lord, I, I thank you for historical figures in the Bible like Isaac and Jacob that we can learn from them, that we can learn parenting things, that we can learn uh, you know, about deception, all these things. But truly, Lord, it, it all boils down to this. Do we truly believe that you are our God or not? And how we view you affects everything that we do. And if we truly believe that you are our leader, our Savior, Uh, the one that we follow, 
May we be willing to accept the things you're giving to us, accept your ways in our life, that we not walk away from you, that we not be gone for 20 years from, from, from under your shadow, that we can truly follow in your ways and how blessed we would be here and now versus just receiving the blessing of heaven. Now the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord's face shine down upon you, and may he direct you back onto his path. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. You guys have a wonderful week.